Turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 29. Be reading verses 31 through 35. And the, uh, the context is that Jacob has come to Paddan Aram and uh, his uncle Laban has welcomed him and they have made an agreement or at least Jacob thought, thought they had made an agreement that he was going to work for seven years and uh, that Rachel would become his wife. And of course when the seven years were up what happened is uh, Laban switched out the ladies. He switched out Rachel and put Leah in her place and of course you have that very famous moment that Jacob wakes up in the morning and in the sunlight he is able to see and behold it was Leah and so he has worked seven years and ended up with a wife that he did not love that he did not ask for and uh, and of course, Leah does not know anything about this. She's just used as a tool by her uh, father because Laban wants Jacob's services because Jacob is making Laban rich, and he knows it, and this is why he does what he does. But he is gracious to Jacob. He says, I tell you what, I will give her to you in another seven days I'll give Rachel to you in another seven days if you work for me for another seven years. And so the result, of course, is, is that Jacob is not happy. And, uh, and Leah, of course, is the one who bears the weight of that. And so um, this is kind of the setting uh, that we're looking at in Genesis chapter 29 at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Thus ends our reading of the word of God. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, again, having read your holy, infallible, and inspired word, and Father, your word is so rich, and so excellent, and so good, yet without your Holy Spirit, we cannot see it. Father, be with my mouth. Bring together the meditations and thoughts of my heart and mind in such a way that it is pleasing to you that you would bless and encourage each person here, give them exactly the portion it is that they need. And Father, again, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for those that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, have mercy. Open their hearts and turn them that they might know their Savior while there is yet time. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen.
one of the, uh, I believe, greatly underappreciated qualities of the Word of God is that it is, in fact, a guidebook. It's a guidebook for healing the human heart and human mind. The Lord said already in Exodus chapter 15, they came to the waters of Marah after the Lord had delivered them out of Egypt. And they went three days without water, and then they came to the, they came to the waters of Marah, and they called, them Mara, they called it Marah because the waters were bitter. They could not drink it. And, and so the Lord instructed Moses on how to sweeten the water so they could drink it. And then at a certain point in there, he says, For I am the Lord your God who heals you. When, when Jesus came down, when the word became flesh, one of the greatest signs that he is who he says he is, is that he went, around, he went about doing healings. This was one of the great witnesses. He says, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe my witness, believe my works. Because he went everywhere healing. He healed everybody of any kind of, any kind of sickness they came with. And, and nobody even knows, because if you read the scriptures, it says that he healed all that were there. And, and there were crowds of thousands and thousands of people. So he healed, he healed their physical ailments. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf and the dumb to hear and to speak. He healed the paralytics and the lepers. But he didn't just heal physical ailments. He also healed the ailments of the heart and mind, the things that we call mental illnesses, and, and the words that are used to describe that in the New Testament, it's hard for us to understand in the, today's world, and I'm not going to go into it right now of why they do it. There's actually a very good basis for this. But mental illness was often seen in, in their time and in their culture, not just in the Jewish culture, but in the whole ancient culture, as, as, as being uh, demon-possessed. But Jesus came and he tossed out Demons left and right. And what he was doing is he was healing mental illnesses like depression, schizophrenia, bipolarism, etc. He could heal the heart and mind just as readily as he could heal the body, the physical body. Jesus healed them all. Why? Because this is, it, this is the message. I am the Lord your God who heals you. Not just at the physical, but the mental, the spiritual. I'm not for one moment trying to simplify or to minimize the very deep ailments of the heart and mind. I'm not trying to say, just believe in Jesus and he'll take your depression away. You know, like the faith healers, you know, that if you believe in Jesus, you can get up out of that, out of that wheelchair and walk, right? We know that God can do this. And we know in, in times past that there have been miracles like, like that. Right? Because even after Jesus got done with his ministry, the apostles were able to do such things. But that is not the normal order. That is not the normal order that God set in place. He usually works through a process. And that's what we see this evening. Our story this evening is a story of healing. In fact, I believe it's, it's really the story, that it's the first story that we read in the Word of God about healing. And so, 
In our text, and for a theme and points, if you'd like to write that down, uh, in our text, the Lord heals the torment of Leah's heart and mind by first seeing and hearing her, second, by not giving her her desire, and finally, third, by showing her the way of true fulfillment. So first of all, he heals the torment of her heart and mind by seeing and hearing her. But what is, before we can look at how she's healed, first, what is she being healed of? What is the torment? Well, what, is, what is Leah's pain? And, and we see it right there in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Hated. Hate is an amazingly powerful force. Leah was hated. A little bit earlier, it tells us about what Rachel looked like, right? It tells us that she was beautiful of form and of face. And that's telling us about the outside of her. It tells us nothing about the inside of her. It says that Leah had tender eyes. And a lot of the, it seems like the majority of of, uh, commentators like to say that there was something wrong, there was something ill-formed with her. But I don't believe that's actually what's happening. I happen to believe that what the Word of God is telling us, it's telling us, it's giving us a snippet of what's inside Leah. She has tender eyes. She was a, she was a young woman, and she had a sweet soul, a sweet heart. She was tender-eyed. She was a gentle girl. She needed somebody who could take care of her, somebody who would love her. Her father didn't. Later on, they they will both confess, Rachel and Leah, that their father didn't love them. He doesn't care about them. And it's obvious with what he does with both Rachel and Leah that he really doesn't care. They're just tools that he can use to manipulate to, to become rich or to fulfill his own desires. Leah knows nothing about his deal with Jacob. She thinks it's real. She thinks the marriage to Jacob is a real deal and that Jacob really wanted her. And and instead, she ends up becoming hated. Hated by whom? Well, she's being hated by Jacob. Well, why is she being hated by Jacob? Because Jacob is so angry, so filled with fury and resentment against what Laban has done to him. But here's the problem for Jacob. Jacob is a powerless person at this point. Jacob is in Padanaram. He has no money. He can't go back yet because Esau still wants to kill him. And God has not given him the heart to turn and, and to go to face that yet. So he's, he's kind of dependent on Laban. He needs Laban, and Laban needs him. So he's not going to pour out that resentment, that anger, that fury that he has at being deceived. And by the way, it's more than just significant. It's more than just interesting that if you go back to Genesis chapter 27 and you see that Jacob deceived and lied to his father to get the blessing. And one of the consequences of that was, and Esau hated his brother Jacob. So there's no, there's no uh, accident here that now he's been lied to, he's been deceived, and he is filled with anger, fury, and hatred. 
but he has no place to go with it except for Leah. When he sees her, all he can think about is how he's been lied to, how he's been deceived. When he sees her, all he can think about is he never loved her in the first place. And now he's ended up being saddled with her in effect. When he sees her, he thinks about the extra seven years he has to serve Laban. He made a deal for seven. Now he ends up with 14 to get what he wants. And so he's filled with fury and anger and resentment. And this is classically what is called hatred. In our, uh, in the, the word of, uh, in today's psychology, which has gotten a lot better over the last 20 or 25 years, uh, this is actually what I read about how they define hatred. When someone or something stands in the way of me getting my desires, I get angry and frustrated. And living out of that anger and frustration is to despise, to resent, to hate the one who's in my way. Well, Laban is the one who's in his way. But he can't do anything. He's powerless. And so he pours out this wrath and what does that look like? I, I believe what it looks like, he doesn't hit her. I, I, I don't believe that there was any of that. But he despises her. Her heart is filled with love. She has been waiting to be married, to pour out her love upon her husband and her family. And instead, when she, he comes in the, the tent door and, and she's cooked a meal, etc., he just looks at her with, with anger and resentment. And who can she go to? Who can she go to? Not her sister. In the next chapter, you'll read that there's a, actually a point where, I think it's chapter, or verse 15, where, where, where she, she, she says, you, you've stolen my husband... Are you going to steal my mandrakes also, or my son's mandrakes? And, and what she's saying there is that the way she sees it is, is Rachel's actually stolen her husband. One of the experiences that most people that are hated and resented and despised is they feel so alone. There's a ton of research on this now because especially of young kids and especially in inner cities, they grow up in one-parent homes, they grow up in no-parent homes, they grow up surrounded by anger and drunkenness and yelling and screaming, and, and the research is so horrifying because hatred, fury, resentment, these things, brothers and sisters, they cause depression. They can lead to suicide. They can lead to all kinds of problems. And, and like I said, the research is, is out there even today, right now. And, and so these children that are growing up in, the, in these backgrounds, when they send them to school, it doesn't ma matter how smart they really are. They can't learn because their, their brain is on on, you know, they're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. 
They, they live in a background where they're, they're just waiting for the next thing to, to come flying at them. And so at school, they can't relax and, and think, so they do terribly at school. The, the statistics on it are just crazy on, on what's going to happen to them in the future. They have 5, 10, 15 times a, a normal person, a, a person with a normal background, chance of becoming a, a drug addict, an alcoholic. They have huge percentages uh, uh, more of, of chance, uh, statistical chances of, of ending up in violent crime, going to prison. Hatred, anger, resentment, being despised. Powerful, powerful forces. This poor lady, this poor young woman is put into a situation and she is the most powerless of all. And she can't go anywhere. It's not modern America. She, she can't call out and have a, have a whole group of lawyers coming to her the next morning. Your father did this? Are you kidding? We'll take, we'll take, we'll take him for everything. Your husband's treating you like that? That's no good. We'll get a divorce order and we'll get at least half, which at that point is half of nothing, right? But the bottom line is she has no power. The only place that's less safe, less protected, and worse than where she's at is to try to leave and go outside the walls. Because in that ancient world, Brothers and sisters, there was no protection for a woman. None. Zero. So she has to live being despised, being hated, being alone. The number one consequence of being hated and being despised is that you become the same. That after a bit, you become filled with anger and fury and hatred. Your soul dries up, constricts, gets smaller and smaller and harder and harder. But God does not want that for her. God is there for her, and God is there for her right from the beginning. The first thing that he does it says that when he saw that the Leah was hated, he opened her womb. He opened her womb. Now, what, what would that do? That's a powerful thing. Here's a woman that is filled with love. A woman that wants to love, but has no avenue of love. She, she's got all this love to give, and she's got no one to give it to. Her husband despises her. He uses her. He's willing to use her. But he can't stand her. But the Lord opens her womb. And brothers and sisters, it's amazing how God has created a woman that she can pour herself out. And you almost think specifically she was made for this idea to hold, to nurture. And in her particular case, even more than most cases, that as she holds this child and she cherishes and, and he gets to feel the touch of the mother because that's, again, they've done so many studies on this. It's, it's, it's incredible how God has designed this whole process 
that the touch of the mother, the holding of the mother, the warmth of her skin, the, the, the love that she manifests to that child, moment by moment, especially in those first couple of years, if, if a child does not have that, it's crazy. Those poor kids that don't have that, there's something that's being robbed from them. But not only does this child get to be the recipient, she gets to be the recipient. Because even as she holds this child, she feels love. And she knows where it's coming from. Look at how the Lord addresses the fact that she's alone and that she's hated and that she's despised. We hear it in the names. In verse 32, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. She knows this. God has communicated in a way that's strong enough to her that she knows that Jacob doesn't see me, my dad doesn't see me, my sister doesn't see me, but you know what? The Lord sees me. He looks and he has seen. We see it with the second child. In verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. What did the Lord hear? We don't even know for sure, but we know that Jacob must have said some mean, nasty, harsh things to her. The Lord heard it again and again as this woman went all out to try when her husband would come in that tent door to try to be ready and to try to take care of any particular need that he might have and how again and again and again he rejected, he despised, and if it was particularly loving and particularly good. He probably just turned on his heel and walked right back out. He would give her no affection. terrible situation but she knew the Lord sees me the Lord hears me and, and, and brothers and sisters this is so critical because we're in a, in a world right now even in the United States our children our young people in the United States are growing up with less hope than they have in in we don't even know when. The suicide rate is the highest it's ever been among young people. Young people, parents give them everything, which is a huge mistake. We take away the blessing that God gives young people when parents raise them right. Don't give them everything. Make them work. Make them earn it. Because you know what? There's a blessing in that. There's a blessing of fulfillment when you work and you earn, when someone says it's not good enough, you can do better, and they go back and they do better, there is a feeling there that you cannot replace, that there's no other feeling like it. To actually have to strive and to reach and to achieve. That's a blessing. In America today, mothers and fathers, grandparents, no longer. And the reason is, is because they have rejected the word of God, they have walked away from the word of God, and so these 
millions and millions of, of children are growing up and mommy and daddy are doing everything for them and you know what the result is? They feel alone. They feel uncared for. Even though there's someone giving them everything. Giving them everything but denying them the things that they need. They don't know that there's a God who loves. That there's a God who sees. That there's a God who hears. That there's a God who desires their well-being. And they need to know. Leah was blessed to know in this terrible situation she's in, which she's not at fault at all. It's just one of the consequences of being in a world filled with sin. And we're in that same world. But we have a God who sees and we have a God who hears. So God sees and he hears her. But then we also see how God continues in this process by not giving her her desire. Now that's a very odd thing, right? Because Leah is just like a lot of us. Leah... When she wants something, she asks the Lord. And we're the same way. When, when, when our life isn't going a particular way or we want something or something's wrong over here, something's wrong over there, Lord, can you help me out? And if we really looked objectively at the things that we ask God for, a lot of times we'd be able to see our selfishness. We'd be able to see that we're not really living for him, but we think that he lives for us. That he's going to take care of me, whatever my situation is. I'm, I'm a little short here. Lord, can you help me out? You know, he's our big, easy button. And so Leah has a desire. And again, we see that in the names. Right? Because the Lord has looked upon my afflictions, and this is the naming of Reuben, for now my husband will love me. For now he will love me. In, in, in the second son with Simeon, um, it's not expressed, but it's there. And I know it's there because we see it with the third son, with Levi. In verse 34, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Now my husband will love me. Now he will become attached to me. So what's her desire? Her desire is so simple and so right that you would have a hard time to fault it, wouldn't you? I mean, is it wrong for a wife to want and desire that her husband would love her and care for her and be attached to her? No. Her desire is not wrong. In the Old Testament, the Bible does not deal much with the whole overall culture of one husband, one wife. The whole culture of the world, once man fell into sin, is that the, the mightier, the stronger, the richer, would husbands, men would marry, they'd have as many wives as they wanted. That was just the way it was. The Lord doesn't deal with it directly, but he does deal with it indirectly. We can actually see what's happening here, right? Because Jacob never loved Leah. He never wanted Leah. He never desired Leah. It was always Rachel. 
He doesn't have room in his heart. Now, could God miracle it into his heart? Yes, he could. But here's the thing. Even if Leah got what she desired, would she be fulfilled? Now think about that. If you and I got our desires in this world, would that fulfill us? Would that give us that sense of peace and assurance and knowledge that I am good to go? Right? Because Jacob, you know, the whole interplay with him and and Rachel, Rachel is kind of almost like a goddess of desire. That's why the word of God tells us specifically what she looked like on the outside because it's telling us what Jacob was looking at and what he desired. But he's got her now. He's got Rachel. And he probably spends most of his time with her when he's not working out in the field, which he does a lot of. But is Jacob fulfilled? Because if he was fulfilled, why would he treat Leah so terribly? Why would he still be filled with so much anger and fury and resentment Why would he be filled with such a sense of powerlessness? He obtained what he desired. And the word of God is actually telling us something about our desires in this world. To love your husband, to love your wife, is what God calls us to do. But that alone will not fulfill you. That alone will not give you peace. That alone will not assure you. You need something more. And Leah already has it, but she doesn't even know. Think about this. The Lord sees me. The Lord hears me. The Lord in effect, is attached to me. And she doesn't see it yet. She doesn't see it. God denies her desire, but when she became pregnant with the fourth child, there's a fulfillment. And I don't think it's an accident at all. Jacob, as broken, as messed up as he is, he is God's man. He has been chosen by God. He is loved by God. He's got a, he's got a long trail to go. He's very boneheaded like a lot of us. He's, a lot, he's hard-headed. He's, he, 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 he's, he's physically, mentally strong, which actually makes it harder. But God loves him. And he's working his covenant through Jacob, but he's also working his covenant through Leah. Judah, that fourth son, brothers and sisters, that fourth son, out of him will come the Christ. So I don't think it's an accident at all that when she's pregnant with him, that she senses an assurance and a 
and a peace that she's never known. She senses a fulfillment. And we know that because of what she calls him and why. Because his name means praise. And the statement that she makes, now I will praise the Lord. And I love it. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time and an age that everybody's out there. There's a huge movement, you know, that we need to, we, we need to stack up our victimhood. We need to claim our victimhood. Okay? So if you're a woman, all right, right away, you've got a lot of victimhood. You've been oppressed by men forever. So you're a victim. If you're a woman of color, well, then you can double stack. And I'm not kidding. This is actually how they work it. And this is what they teach. And this is what they're teaching in, in colleges in universities, and this is the teachers are getting taught this, and then they go down and they teach in the public schools. If you're a woman of color, that maybe is not heterosexual. Well, now you're a super victim. Claim your victimhood. Be angry. You've been oppressed. You've been hurt. You got claims on other people. They owe you. That's what the world says. That is what our world is saying. That is what so much of American society is saying. But look at God and how he deals with Leah. Because Leah is, is the picture of a victim. She is the most powerless person in this story. She is the most oppressed person in this story. She's the most innocent person in this story. But God doesn't want her standing up there and crying and claiming that she's a victim. God is strengthening her. He's encouraging her. He's loving her. And he's giving her the strength to stand, but to stand in a proper way. You see, the problem... Because there are a lot of victims in this world because that's what it means in a sinful world. The strong oppress the weak. If you don't have strength, if you don't have power, then other people are going to push down with their strength and power and take advantage of you. So there's victims everywhere. And And the word victim is real. And the problem is real. But even modern psychology itself will tell people That's not the way out of the box. Getting angry, making claims, and demanding that other people do this, that, and the other thing for you because you're the victim only breeds more anger, more wrath, more fury, more resentment. It doesn't heal you. It makes you worse. There's one way out of being a victim. There's one way out of being oppressed. There's one way to break the chains. And that's to turn and to trust and to believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells you, Jesus is against slavery, but he never says it. The Word of God tells us that if you're a slave, obey and honor your master. But you know what? At a certain point, the church began to throw off the shackles of slavery. Why? Because as we met and worshiped together, masters and slaves, and we read the word of God, and, and, and we prayed together, and fellowshiped together, and ate and drank together, and saw each other in the, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ, we began to see that we're all equal in his eyes. At a certain point, how can a master who's a child of God continue to enslave another child of God? Even in the nation of Israel, God had told his people long before that, you must not enslave one of your brothers. But God doesn't start by telling the slave, you need to break your chains and resist and struggle and, and, and you know, uh, fight that tyranny of your master. He says, trust in me. Believe in me. Stand in the liberty that I give you. And all the way back in the book of Genesis, the wife of the third patriarch, Jacob, comes to this knowledge and understanding that brings her into a place of light and joy. And don't get me wrong, her life is not over, her trail is not over, it's an up and down process, there's no doubt. But listen to what she says. Now I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. How do you do that? My husband still doesn't love me. He still treats me like garbage. You know why? Because God loves me. Even if my husband saw me and, and loved me, he could never see me the way that God sees me. God sees me every moment of every day. Even if my husband loved me and cared for me, he can't hear me all the time and he can't see and hear all my needs, but I've got a God who hears me all the time, every moment of every day. I've got a God who's got me. He's attached to me. I belong to him. And he belongs to me. That's the fountain of liberty. That's the fountain of strength. That's the fountain of courage. And brothers and sisters, that's the fountain of true health. Now I will praise the Lord. Amen. Father, again, we come before you this evening hour and we pray that you'd work your spirit, truth, into our heart. 
even in our own lives, Lord, we know that there are areas, so many of us and all, all of us struggle in different areas with anger or resentment, envy. Sometimes it's just sometimes it may be justified, other times it's not. But Father, may it be that you will heal us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that we have been blessed in such an amazing way. That your son came and he gave himself up as that sacrifice for our sin, our iniquity, our guilt. Every sin, every piece of our brokenness is taken away by the cross. And now he gives us the answer, not just to our health, but even to the health of the world. To love one another as I have loved you. Father, may we stand in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we stand in his love, his mercy. May we stand in the knowledge that he sees us, that he hears us. And even as he has promised that if you believe in me, if you turn to me, if you trust in me, my Father and I will come and dwell in your heart. We will be in you and you will be in us. Father, may that be the basis and the foundation for our assurance, for our peace, for our joy. And now, Father, as we get ready to to take a, a collection, we pray that your blessing would be upon each and every one of these people, that they would give joyfully, that they would give with a full and open heart. And, Father, that you would use these gifts and that you would um, use them to help and to bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, all these things we ask in his name alone. Amen.